Welcome to Trick Talkers, a podcast about trick takers, shedders, climbers and other card games. Today is special because today is a episode just for the holidays. And we are your hosts, Patrick and Ryan. Just in case you didn't know that and you haven't listened to any previous episodes. Great time to dig in though. Very festive. It is, at least to start. Maybe we will throw in some games outside of the holidays. I know usually when you get into holiday games, you want to talk about specifically like Christmas themed games. And there's only so many of those you can really talk about before you repeat them. So I think we're doing more of a just games in general that we want to play over the holidays, right? Right. I'm glad you've clarified, Ryan, with that little curveball, because for anyone who's listened to us on previous Christmases gone by and we've talked about ugly sweaters and Nana Christmas and things like that. And the Grinch. It's cool. And like the Grinch. Which, have you seen and, Have you seen the movie now? It's been a year. You've had a chance to watch that movie. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but I, I've seen half the movie again. And i probably the only person in existence who's seen the Grinch like four or five times has got halfway and something's happened, be that a plane journey or... We have to leave because I need to do something. And I'm not, this is not deliberate. It sounds deliberate. This is where you, you kind of, I think you ruined the ending for me on last year's episode. Did you? I didn't necessarily ruin the ending. The game that I had to describe sort of ruined the ending for you. So it's not my fault. It it's the game's fault. <laughs> right. Okay. It was the game. And that game was, oh, do we tell people? Because in case it's a spoiler, I, I don't know. I mean, we've already talked about it on a previous episode. So unless they haven't listened to that one, it wouldn't be a spoiler. Okay, so we'll say the name of the game and stop listing now if you want to know what happens at <laughs> the end of the real movie. Dr. Seuss, Grinch, Grow Your Heart. Okay, there, there we go. We said it. A Christmas game to look out for. The irony, of course, is the games we're about to talk about, actually, for real, are not so much Christmas-themed games, but games we're thinking about playing over the holidays. Right, Ryan? Absolutely. I'm sure a few of these on the le- this list will not be surprising to listeners. But hopefully some of these might be some new games that we haven't talked about before or ones that we are interested to be able to play over the holidays. Well, one perhaps we've dropped into the last couple of episodes of Trick Talkers intentionally. And for very good reason. I think this is probably very good reason. one of the best games to play over the holidays. To play any time, really. There's never not a time where this game is in the perfect setting to be played. Of course, assuming you have the right group for it. And that game, of course, is Edo, which is designed by 326. As Patrick said, we have talked about this game in pretty lengthy detail in the last two episodes. So if you want to get our specific thoughts on it, check out those two episodes. But this is a game that I know both Patrick and I are planning on playing over the holidays with our family and friends. Although hot take... Ryan has said that he's now played the rainbow version. On the last episode, he talked about all these gems that came with it. And your preference, Ryan, now you've played the rainbow version and the classic version? Yeah, so I had the chance to play both the original and Edo Rainbow last night. I played three games in a row of both original and rainbow. So pretty fresh in my mind on both of the versions. And I think I prefer the original version over Rainbow. Okay, interesting. So the reason for preference then, Ryan, because as I understand it, classic game of Ito, 
we've talked about it before. You play your cards, you're trying to play them in a sequential order and hoping that you all play the cards in the correct order. But if somebody messes up, that's potentially okay. You can continue playing, you might lose a life. Whereas, as I understand it in Rainbow, you're putting all the cards down in an order and you're committing to that order and you're then revealing them sort of all at the same time, albeit still one by one, but it's in this grandiose climax to the game. Yeah, you essentially have all the time before to give your clues, describe your cards, whatever your number is, but then you have to lay them on the table in order. And then as soon as everyone's laid down their cards and everyone's like, all right, we're done, this is complete. You then, like you said, reveal the cards one at a time, but you can't make any changes. Whereas original Edo, somebody can play their card and then you get to see that number, it has been revealed. Everyone around the table can adjust their clue based on what was given. It's possible they play their card and you thought that was a 23, but it ended up being a 43. And now you have to readjust your range because it was 20 numbers higher than you expected. So now you can change your clue based on that. Whereas in Edo Rainbow, you don't get that chance. Your cards have already been committed in the order that you have played them off your original clue. So it's a little bit more cutthroat, if you will, in Rainbow. It's still a silly game. It still you know, provides a lot of laughter. The conversations that get gener- generated from the themes and what you come up with is still there. But I think in original Edo, there's more constant conversation and more arguments almost but like friendly arguments about what your clue is and people making those adjustments which i think is almost the funniest part of the game i come up with a clue and then i change that clue and then somebody else changes their clue based on my change is really funny and you get that to happen more in the original Edo because the way the cards are revealed right you play that number that's outrageous how can you possibly be that close to a hundred when it should be way down at 20 or 30 That's the kind of dramatic moments we're talking about. Have no fear. Rainbow Ito still generates colourful conversations, according to Ryan. That was just a way of getting a pun into this episode. Desperate times. Holiday times. And of course, you can still play the classic rule set, regardless of all of this. So don't panic. If you've followed our advice, which we highly encourage, and picked up a copy of Ito, and we don't normally pressure people into buying games, but this is one that you probably should try if you like the sound of it because you can still play the classic rules. Yes, the deck 1 to 100 is the main component you need for this game. The Edo Rambo includes more components to do the whole placing the cards in a row. You put those little colorful gems to show you what card you played. There's a team mode, which includes an extra timer. Those aren't technically necessary to play the original game. So you can still use it even if you have the Edo Rambo box. 100%. So without dwelling too much then, Ryan, the final thing I'm going to ask about Ito is just how many copies have you got for the Christmas period? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. I have my two copies of the original White Box Ito and the Ito Rainbow. And then I have two more copies of the original White Box Ito and six copies of Ito Rainbow. You might ask why. <laughs> yes and i'm trying to do the internal maths here because that's a lot of copies of ito i like it, it is though. a lot of copies and that is because this game is amazing and after i showed it to my wife she insisted that we bought more copies so we could have ones to give as gifts to friends and family so when we go back home we are planning on bringing both my copies playing the game 
And I'm more than well expecting my family to enjoy it because this is the kind of game that they would love. They really have enjoyed Wavelength when I've brought it over. So I see this one going off as a huge hit. So I plan on just plopping a copy on the table after and saying, all right, pick which version you want. There we go. We don't normally do ratings for games, but we might be... This is out of the ballpark, so at least from my perspective, it sounds like Brian might be the same for you. So highly encouraged to try. Yeah, last year we did a stocking stuffers episode of all the games that we think would be good gifts to put in a stocking. And Dr. Seuss Grinch Grow Your Heart was one of the games (laughs) that we talked about then. (laughs) And I think Edo would be a perfect game for that as well. A little more expensive than the five to seven dollar Grinch game. But I think it's well worth the price. It's usually maybe $15 to $18 to get a copy of Edo. Now, usually you're importing it. So you are you know, paying shipping costs from Japan. But if you can find a decent price copy, I think it's well worth it. And of course, there's the wonderful travel-games.co.uk. Uh, at this time, they are currently out of stock, but they do seem to be getting quite a few copies in and out. Rainbow, there's a tiny version, there's few different iterations of ito but at the end of the day it is ito need i say no more we probably dwelled too much but you can't really dwell too much of ito can you actually what am i talking about people might be sick of hearing us talk about it but they're wrong but they're wrong in that case so yes so a couple other games that i am planning on playing over the holidays one that i'm very excited to do is marvel champions my brother-in-law, when he came to visit, uh, probably a year ago now, I introduced Marvel Champions to him and he fell for it pretty quickly and, and pretty deeply. Truly, madly, deeply, as Spandau Ballet would say. Or um, Savage Garden. Sa- <laughs> Savage Garden. I think it was Savage Garden. I think I've just got an artist mixed up and this is really embarrassing. But Could be a version of that or a cover. Yeah. Because if I've got them mixed up, it could be gold. It could be. Anyway, fun over. So, <laughs> um, because of that, I know he bought the base game and a few of the hero packs at that point, and I believe he's been buying some more of the things. But I have all of the the content for it, so I was planning on bringing my Deadpool and the X twenty three decks, and we were going to play some Marvel Champions. So I'm really excited to get some more plays of that because I will always say yes to a game of Marvel Champions. We talked about Marvel Champions historically, Ryan, and I remember you saying if somebody wanted to get into it, which packs they should buy, because there'll be folks at home who've never played Marvel Champions, and I guess liking the IP helps if you like the Marvel Universe, that's going to be an easy way to get people interested. Yeah, obviously the immediate sell of the Marvel Universe in general will make the, the theme really shine for you. I am someone who doesn't necessarily care about the marvel theme but it works really well with a lot of the heroes and a lot of the villains the mechanics that are applied to them fit with that hero or villain so it will shine when you try and pick a hero so if there's one of the ones that you love just from the comics and the movies you might be excited to try that hero pack because you might get the feeling that you are actually captain america or you are Ironheart or well, whoever you pick. Yeah, I fancy waking up tomorrow and becoming Captain America. That would be pretty cool, right? <laughs> be pretty no, sweet. Put it like that. But yeah, so obviously the, the hero that they like is a cool idea. So would, having lots of folks out there and checking out for 
Ito and I've already put the credit card number in. If they were thinking about Marvel Champions and perhaps wanted to try it out somewhere, board game cafe or buy it one day, apart from their favourite hero, is there any pack you'd say is quite the most accessible or do they all seem to be pretty, in terms of complexity, on a similar, similar scale? Earlier you go, the more simpler they will be which it's hard to really say a fantasy flight game is ever simple the amount of errata and rules changes and keywords and things you have to keep track of and learn in this game can always be a lot this is one of those games where you read the rule book and you've only read a portion of the actual game because every card has text that you have to read and understand how it works so starting with the base game of course is always a good way to go It'll give you an idea of if you even enjoy this type of mechanic and how the game plays. Because sure, the other heroes and the other expansions will add new keywords and add some really cool new twists to the game. But the main core mechanic of the game, how it plays out, how you spend cards, how a player turn is structured, how a villain turn is structured, that for the most part, like 99% of it, is the same. So if you're going to get turned off even from just the core game, I don't really think there's an expansion that's going to change your mind. So I would definitely say, I mean, you have to start with the base game. You need it. But I don't think you should go hog wild and buy the base and three other expansions and 20 other hero packs. Maybe just one hero pack. Again, if there is a hero that you really want that's from the later things. Like What's really nice is the newest couple waves there have been the X-Men stuff. You don't technically need to play all the X-Men with only the X-Men. Like, you can use Captain America against the X-Men stuff. Yeah. Of course, there are specific keywords that work better when you are using everything within the same expansion for the most part. But the whole point of the game is it's all mix and match. So you could just buy one of those heroes from the newer stuff, maybe buy Wolverine, and play the base game with him. It'll be fine. You can do that. And this is a cooperative game. Yes, it is cooperative. Right, which is a big thing because when I first heard about Marvel Champions, I thought, oh, this is going to be a head-to-head two-player game. And there are some folks out there that that's not their bag. But now you say it's cooperative. I'm suddenly more interested in, in trying this because I I dig cooperative games at a two-player level quite a lot, even though I do play head-to-head two-players, certainly carrying over into the trick-taking genre as well. So... That's cool. It's one to look out for and certainly one to try, at least from my perspective. I can't offer much apart from I want to wake up tomorrow and be Captain America, as I said. So that's the If there's any takeaway from Marvel Champions, I think that's the one. That's the one. Just wake up as a superhero. It looks thematic, very thematic. Does it feel thematic when you play it? It does. I mean, as, as thematic as playing a board game can get without actually literally getting into the theme. <laughs> I think it's it's a very okay. good job at making you feel like you're a superhero that's cool yeah so you've not got just a bunch of cars with oh is captain america and he does this it, it feels a a bit more like you're playing in that universe with those characters relative to their ability yeah like just a f- quick example to make you understand is the like captain yeah. america has a shield one of his cards he has is using a shield and one of the things you can do is throw his shield and he can throw it at different enemies so that's like cool. it pings off and bounces like he does in the comics very cool what's another good one like well, i mean there's hulk i think hulk's probably one of the heroes hulk. that 
just destroy yeah, things. He is one of the yeah. probably most hated heroes. Very controversial. <laughs> he could destroy Christmas dinner easily, right? The, the Absolutely. Hulk, so be careful yeah. with that one. He is yeah. just a pure machine. Just tries to destroy everything as quickly as possible. And he has all these energy resource cards that have three energy on them, which at that time like, wasn't a thing. So you had this card that nobody else had that you would have to spend on these really expensive cards to just do a boatload of damage. You were just punching everything and raging out, and then you'd switch over to your doctor side and you'd have like nothing you could do. You pretty much always needed to be hulked out to do anything. That sounds really cool. I mean, not punching everything necessarily, <laughs> but if you're the Hulk, it's all relative. But that's... I, I do now, you've... I feel more invested in trying it now, and I, I like the fact it's not just the IP. Because some games out there, you you see the IP and you think, great intellectual property. Is there actually a game here? Sounds like there is. And Ryan's done all the research and development <laughs> for any folks who are curious, recommending a try. Yeah, Michael Boggs, Nate French, and Caleb Grace, the three designers of the game. You know, some of the expansions have other people who have added on, but they've really made a a great game with that's done well over the various expansions. Usually you can start out a lot of bloat to these games and it can become a lot. I think they've done a good job at keeping the new fresh stuff coming even with these new waves. Okay, I'm not even going to ask if you sleeve the cards because that's a, that's a, a given. Oh yes, a lot of sleeves. So much <laughs> sleeving. <laughs> there we go. Sleeve Heaven and Marvel Champions. Yeah. Great combo. Well, I have one more game on my list, but do we want to switch over and do a couple of yours first before we jump back to mine? Yeah, sure, why not? So Monica's is a game that many people at home will be familiar with. It's basically charades with a twist. You do several rounds of the Monica's, you're gonna get you're gonna work in teams. And this is a laughter generator, Ryan, just like Ito, although I will say I think Ito's probably dethroned all the other party games that I'm going to talk about. Let's be honest, how dare I talk about games? They're all in the shadow of e of Ito now. They must bow but down to Ito. Must bow down to Ito. But Monica's, the first round, you will compete in teams and you're given a card and the card has terminology on it. For example, it might be Jigglypuff. Now that's okay if you don't know what Jigglypuff is because the card does go into specific definition of that jigglypuff is a pink pokemon and i can't remember the rest <laughs> that's all you need write to know. A dictionary one day <laughs> that's all you need to know it jigglypuff. says jigglypuff it sings a beautiful song there we go because some of the older generations perhaps they don't know what jigglypuff is but the description's there so you could describe this you could use the description on the card to describe what it is and eventually your team will get it or won't get it but because the cards are reused over several numbers of rounds, the words are going to keep coming up. The first round, sure, you might be describing things. The second round, you can only say one word. So it could be, for example, Jigglypuff. It could be pink. And everybody goes, oh, I know. It's, of course, it's Jigglypuff. It's pink. Third round, you are literally doing charades and you're making noises and People like charades because it's always a game that tends to get played over Christmas with people who are slightly extroverted and family members and people can kind of get involved and go wild. There are some hidden rounds that you can play. For example, heads behind a sofa moving around erratically. That's not what the round's called, but that's kind of what it ends up like. People hiding behind curtains making weird noises. We've had that as well. 
You played Monica's. Yeah, we like doing in the fourth round the hand puppets on the table. That's our favorite one. The hand puppets. You recommend that. There was a hand puppets. There was a shadow puppets round. If you played that, maybe. It's possible that's one of them. I know in the Shut Up and Sit Down version mm-hmm. or one of the newer versions, it actually comes with cards to give you for recommendations for that fourth round. Yes. So Yeah, there's a quite a few yeah. versions. But yeah, so we, we have played monikers. I do own one of the bigger boxes. But really, I mean, this is a, a game that was originally, or you might have heard it called Celebrity or Fishbowl. This is a game you probably have played and you didn't even realize that you've played it, where everybody just puts a name yeah. in a bowl. You fold up that piece of paper, you shuffle it all around, and you grab one. And typically, you might just be playing charades when you do that. But this is the kind of the idea of that game. There's just more rounds involved. Certainly recommended a, a, a try with the weird puppet thing as well. Right? I mean, yeah. I'd give it a go. It's almost it's a it's like a half okay. step away from the hand puppets on the table. I'm pretty bad at yeah. even trying shadow puppets, so I don't think I'd be good at that. Shadow at least puppets. with the hand puppets, you can make more f- fluid motions. Just make it like flop That's on the true. table, and they can see it. I feel like the shadow puppets require more precise movement. They do. Technicalities of shadow making. Yeah. <laughs> so, are you a fan of the monikers then, Ryan? It sounds like you are, potentially. Ito's shadow, relatively speaking. Yes. Before Ito was in my life, monikers was a big hit at our house. A lot of holidays, we would be playing monikers. A lot of not holidays. This is a good party game just for visiting the family in general. It plays really well with big numbers. In most party games, that's kind of the idea of them. If you have six or more people... Usually your first thought is, let's find a party game. And Monikers is a really good one. The rules are pretty simple. And, you know, most party games, that's kind of one of the key factors. It needs to be a quick, light, snappy teach. Because you're probably playing it with non-gamery people. And Monikers, I think, hits that really well. So I know it hit the table for us a lot. Agreed. Yeah. So that so that's Monikers. Just give it a go. There's a million different expansions out there and stuff. And a few standalone versions worth a look and that's monica's with a k not spelt like the name monica so easy trap to fall into when you're looking for the game designed by alex haig and justin vickers before i forget i've got to throw it in credit to those two people responsible for a lot of fun and laughter over the years no doubt for many bringing us on to game called fun facts by castellap now, Ryan, fun facts might appeal to you. And the reason I say why it might appeal to you is because, and it's going to sound a little similar to Ito, everybody gets a placard that they write on. In, in reality, it's a big arrow that they can put their name on and everybody gets asked a question. Now, unlike Ito, the questions are personal to the individual. So you might say, for example... How comfortable are you with elderly people? That is a question. And you rank it from 0 to 100. How interested are you becoming a spy? 0 to 100. There's a few questions that are just like, how long do you take in the shower? Or how many potted plants do you have in your home? I don't recommend that question. You might want to create it for your group. You write on your board, your little arrow, and you put it on the table and you try and arrange it in the order that you think it is that you are relative to the individual players at the table. So a bit like Ito Rainbow, except it's all personal to the group. And 
generates good conversation as well. I'm not saying it's as fun as Ito by any means, but it is good for getting to know players and how they perceive themselves. And most of the questions, thankfully, aren't derogatory or personal. There's a few ones that I'd probably take out, but most of them are pretty good and you can create it for your group. What are your thoughts? Do you think that's kind of your vibe or do you think, again, Ito sort of, there's no way that you now look at a game in that? I mean, I yeah, I have seen this game. I know my local game store put it out. They had a demo copy at one point showing it off to people. So I've seen it in action. I haven't played it myself, though. Mm-hmm. So I know it is one that I would enjoy. I do think it would fit my gaming group with the people we play these party games with pretty well. But I do feel like it's just if at this point now, if we're playing something that's so close to Edo, just why not play Edo? <laughs> Don't make me regret my recent purchase, Ryan. But yeah, you're probably right. To be honest, you are right. And I will say, though, that Fun Facts is good with family members or people you know very well. Whereas Ito's probably more flexible in that regard because you're not personally addressing individuals. You're talking about topics and then coming to logic on why double Oreos are stuffed with and easy to so far apart from single Oreos. But anyway, without dwelling on it too much. Fun fact. Yeah, the tagline in the fun facts box literally says no more secrets between you. So it's really forcing that icebreakerness of making you say things that you may not be comfortable with, depending on this, you know, the, the certain category. Agreed. And to be honest, I used to have a game called True Colors, which was a lot meaner. And some of the questions were really were horrible. So this is kind of got rid of true colors. And then I thought, well, a fun fact is a little bit softer in its approach. It's not sort of saying, well, who here is the most likely to get scammed or defrauded by a con artist? Everybody putting their votes into a box and then handing it to my mother. I mean, that's, you know, surprise. There you go. One way to ruin Christmas vibes. So... Without further ado, Ryan, I think you better take over from my fun facts. I'm going to be spelling out fun facts for the next half an hour. It'll be lovely. We'll find out more than we expected. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so my next game is going to be, surprise, surprise, Dual Boy. Didn't see that going. But it's going to be with a little twist here, though. Also Dual Boy Pocket. I'm currently working on the translation, so I should hopefully have them done before I head home for the holidays. This is a game that I think my brother-in-law will really enjoy so i'm excited to try and show it off to him as i've mentioned before it has that similar vibe that marvel champions does with the cost economy paying for the cards and as much as he loves marvel champions i think he would really get a kick out of dual boy and with dual boy pocket being the new version i'm really excited to actually start getting to play that one and really hammer in and see what the differences are because I've already translated the rules for Dual Boy Pocket, so I do know on paper the difference of how it will play, but I haven't actually played it yet, so I'm excited to be able to do that and give them to comparison and see which one I might prefer more. But honestly, it's almost going to become apples and oranges, I think, with the way that mm. Dual Boy Pocket's being designed to be more streamlined and simplified. It really depends on just what kind of mood you're in to which one you'd rather play. So if I said to you, very briefly... What's the hot take then in terms of the main differential 
between Jewel Boy and Jewel Boy Pocket, apart from the fact it probably fits in your pocket, and I'm guessing they probably both do they anyway. They both do, so that, yeah, but, it's definitely no difference. Yeah. Uh, I'd say the two biggest differences would be Jewel Boy Pocket only has units. There's no longer unit and tactics. Okay. And it's essentially a race to one point. Before, if you'd lost the round, your opponent flips one of their cards and gets a victory point out of it, and they're trying to get the three points. Or if you can't summon any more cards because you've resurrected and then you've run out. In Dual Boy Pocket, if you can't win the attack, you lose. And you can only go through your hand one time. There's no way to resurrect or revive your hand to get cards from your discard back. So it's much faster. You're only playing the hand one time through versus a couple times. And do you have... You haven't played Pocket yet, right? No. I've only translated maybe okay. 18 or 19 of the cards and the rules, so I'm still not done yet. Does somebody take a card away from you at the end like before? Yes, the there's still the two-card swap at the end. That hasn't changed. Okay, so no doubt we'll come back and it'd be very cool to hear your thoughts on, for example, like you did with Ito Rainbow in the classic version, but in doing that with Jewel Boy and trying to find out is there a quiz essential Jewel Boy version or are they much of the same thing? Like you said, apples to apples, that's a different game. Are they much of the same thing? And is it is there one that you'd pick having played them over the other? Pockets to pockets. Very excited to to try that out. Because, I mean, you know, the thing is with that game being so quick, I can play Dual Boy Pocket in like five minutes. So you can get three, four games in pretty quickly, try out some of the different cards and see how they play. And that's amazing what it does for your play stats for the year on BG. <laughs> PGG, right? You just be like, oh, well, that's that's a game, that's a game, that's a game two minutes later. That's what I do with Nana. If you haven't got your plays in for the year, play Nana because you get like 100 sessions in, in that's the way to do it. two hours. That's the loophole. Yeah, exactly. Anything else you have planned? Another game by Castellap, Ryan. That's not a hat. It didn't land with my main gaming group on a Thursday night. We have a gaming group. Didn't land. One of the players basically isn't so fond of memory games and not all of us are totally get it right so it's either your bag or it isn't your bag and did say they would rather play cockroach poker however i think that's not a hat is pretty neat for what it does essentially it's about gift giving and that's kind of perfect for the holidays anyway you have a pack of silly little illustrations Apologies to the artist in advance. They are a bit silly, but because you, you can call them whatever you like. So you might be like, well, that's a muffin. No, that's a cupcake, depending on where you're from. There are little sketched drawings and the pack starts in the center, face up, so everybody can see what's on the top of the pack. Everybody gets a face up card with a gift on it, frog or a muffin, whatever you like. The first person to go takes a card off the top, gets an extra item. Flips that item over immediately, everybody's seen it, and passes it to a player according to the arrow on the back of the card and says, this is, insert word, so it could be a cookie or a toothbrush, for example, and you would go, so in my case, I'd say to Ryan, this is a zebra, and Ryan would say, no, it's not a zebra, it's a zebra. <laughs> that, you know, the, class, the classic. Um, but if you call someone out and you're wrong then you're going to be taking the penalty, which is a card. You get given that card and you essentially got three lives. You call somebody out and they were right. It's the other way around, but you get the logic. Essentially, 
you call someone out and they're telling the truth or you call someone out and they're not telling the truth, there's implications for the accuser or the accused, relatively speaking. Basically, this game is just a fun little memory game where you're passing the cards different ways around the table for good reason, because what happens is you think you know what it is, then all of a sudden the game descends into chaos. Nobody can remember what was given and to whom. And you just end up laughing how ridiculous you were because you believed it was a toothbrush all along and actually it was a frog. Or that you bluffed everybody into thinking it was a toothbrush even though it was a frog. So we did have a good play of this at a convention. Does this one sound like up your street? Because obviously, Ryan, we know we talk about Cockroach Poker. That's a very well-regarded known bluffing game. This one is a bit more of a memory side to it. Yeah, this is one that I've almost purchased a few times. Cockroach Poker is a game that Michelle has really enjoyed. She likes the bluffing. She likes Skull, too. Those really clean, streamlined bluffing games. And I really think this is one that would work really well for her. Uh, it's because it almost has a little aspect of, you know, Nana to it as well with that memory part to yes. it. You're not yeah, trying to collect the cards because, you know, collecting the cards are bad in this game, unlike Nana. <laughs> but still, it has that memory aspect. And she also really likes Nana. So taking Cockroach Poker and Nana, two games that she really enjoys, and putting it into basically one, I think this one would would work really well with us too. So I've come really close to buying it a few times, but for whatever reason, I haven't pulled the trigger, even though I do know that once we get this played, it would be a good time. Yeah, I mean, I got this for, I found it on Amazon for like eight pounds. So it's, if you're on the fence, I think it's worth a punt. And I certainly think my family members, some non-gamers, and pretty, you can play this with anybody. It's pretty immediate. As long as you're okay with memory game slash chaos, which is what it is, and it's, that's not a hat, is sure to be a winner in your household. And even if it's not, worst case scenario, you put it in a stocking or a local charity shop. And one you probably don't need to buy sleeves for because it's nobody can remember anyway, right? Oh yeah, absolutely not. Very briefly, final game I'd like to try over the holidays is Don't Get Got, uh, Shut Up and Sit Down version by Zoe Lee, James A. Vaughn. There we go. And this game is essentially about playing pranks on your friends and getting points when you do it and suffering penalties if they catch you out. It doesn't play on the table. It's more of an event game. Meta game. Have you played it? Right? Yes. I don't have the Shut Up and Sit Down version. I have the original but we have played it with our groups whenever we have like birthday parties or some events where there's 10 plus people and we're all just getting together playing games. We'll do this on the side. Good fun? Yes. <laughs> okay, the stifled yes has got me cautious. Yeah, not. it's funny. I feel like this is one of those games that's designed or its intention is to be played over a longer weekend or an even longer period. Okay. Whenever you're trying to play this game in one evening, you know, like a small session, everyone just gets too worried that you're playing the game. Because the whole point of <laughs> okay. Don't Get Got is you have these tasks you're trying to complete. They're all secretive, so you know what you're trying to do, but nobody else does. And if you can get somebody else sure. to do it, you'll score that point. 
But if somebody else says and asks you, are you doing this for the game? And you are, you have to reveal it and you lose that. You don't score it. So the problem is what happens all the time is somebody will say, hey, can you pass me that water over there? And then everyone just looks at you and doesn't pass you the water because they're like, you're probably doing this for the game. And then just everybody is on edge and you can't actually like enjoy the night or try and do anything, you know, clever because everyone's too worried about it. And eventually you might get somebody who's just like forgot about it and you can sneak it in. But it usually doesn't feel as good that way for the most part. I don't know. Yeah, it it's fine. It's fun. It can be enjoyable. But I think when you just cram it in too little of a time, it, it has that issue. I'm glad you said that because... I put the feelers out with my group and I said, right, dang it, God, what do you think? And they said, well, we've played it, but Patrick, the conversation got stifled because people were paranoid that they were playing the game rather than just having a normal conversation in the evening. I think you probably hit the nail on the head that condensing it to such a short space of time means you've got to do all the tasks in that short space of time. And therefore, you must be playing the game, taking you out of that social dynamic, which is what I'm a little bit worried about. So I thought, well, Christmas Eve, I've got the whole day. Surely it can't go wrong. It probably will fail spectacularly, but I'll be sure to update you on how Don't Get Got Shovers It Down version went. I do think, though, you're probably on the money with extending this over a period of time where you can relax and actually enjoy a trip without constantly thinking about what somebody's going to try and do to you. Is that fair? Not played it, but this is the vibe I'm picking up. Agreed. I've I've played it okay. maybe six or seven times now, and it just always usually devolves into that every time because I think the longest time frame we had when we did it was maybe 10 hours when we did it over like a longer game day. But every other time okay. it's usually been two to four hours so it's like really short right the 10 hours was a better play was it in that yeah so i really think and that's okay. the thing like that's why i say it's fine but i do think it can be better if you go into knowing that you're playing this over a long weekend so like a convention would be a good time to do it you usually have three to five days there's a lot of gaming going on there's a lot of convention walking there's a lot of things if you're with a bigger group when you're playing this game you might all be spread out in different areas a lot of the times when we were doing it too, we're usually in the same house or the same room. So there was a harder way to really break apart. I think that's what can be really funny with this is when 15 of you are playing, but you can get somebody when it's just the three of you going to get breakfast the morning before the convention starts. Brilliant. I think yeah, yeah. that's where this yeah. game can shine. So if you can find a way to do that, might be better. And I hope to hear that your Christmas Eve journey goes better. No, I, I think it's crossed. And do you know what the funny thing is? We've talked about games over the holidays. Not a single one of them a trick taker or a climber, but love it because they're all technically, well, maybe not fun facts, kind of is card games. So that's cool. We do say we talk about other card games. There's your other card games for the holidays, yeah. right? Including the Grinch. So true. I, I do like that as well. I'm obviously going to be bringing like 25 to 30 trick takers in my bag because duh. Without question. Yeah, but I know that they're probably not going to get played. And the ones listed are the ones that I'm focused on playing and I know will get played. That's cool, Ryan. I like it. I like it. Well, yeah, we've done that. Absolutely. Well, I believe that was our list of all of the games to play over the holidays. Hopefully you guys can get some games over the holidays as well, whatever they may be. Maybe it's one of the games that we just talked about. Maybe it's something different. If it's something different, let us know what it is. 
comment on our discord send us an email reach out to us on twitter whatever way it is shout out in the air maybe we'll hear you let us know what you're playing we'd, we'd love to see that yeah and if you played any of the games we talked about what your experiences are as well really like to hear back from some folks out there you potentially have had amazing or very disappointing plays of some of the games discussed all right we do have a couple more segments that we wanted to get on the episode we're going to have a nice jam-packed holiday episode but i think those are the only games specific to holiday related we're going to go a little bit away from that not make it just a holiday special and we're going to talk the inner grinches ryan exactly yeah we're already past it by the time you listen to this episode it's going to be the 26th of december so if you celebrate christmas it's already going to be past christmas you're ready to move on to new year's you're ready to move on to whatever next holiday valentine's day psych for 2024 exactly what we're going to talk about here is a couple of games that are new to us they might not be new this year but they are games that we have discovered pretty classic thing people talk about you know new to me games and patrick would you like to start us off sure so this one is the crew it is the crew mission deep sea by thomas singh Having graduated from Planet Nine, the crew, the Planet Nine, the original version, Deep Sea was acquired in 2021 by myself, Ryan. Long time ago now. And this sat on my shelf and it sat on the shelf of shame because we completed the crew with a group of people and we thought COVID happened and then we thought, well, Who's the new group of people going to be for Mission Deep Sea? Who is that needs to be in that group of four? I had it in my head. It's got to be four people. It's got to be these people. And as people rotated through my gaming group and started not to show up or started to become regulars, that perception of who was going to be in the crew group started changing. Problem is, of course, Ryan, when you do that, in reality, you're always waiting for that perfect night, the perfect setting, the perfect play account to get it played it just wasn't going to happen so cut the long story short a couple of weeks ago i just said look next time people come around we have the games night let's just play it and if the group rotates it doesn't matter we can all put our submarine outfits on scuba diving outfits even and just play and to use a pun here by thomas singh the game really sings it is really impressive the way that they use the cards in Deep Sea. I'd always heard that Deep Sea was better and I couldn't understand why because of, you know, the crew. How do you beat the crew? Unless you have a Royal Rumble and it's not in there, but that's that's a different thing, right? There's no Royal Rumble here. This is just deep at sea. Just the crew by itself. Exactly. Well, I can tell you that the card system the way that it allocates on a value-based system relative to how many players you've got and the, the mission number, players are going to get together and try and cooperatively complete missions, play cards, and generally following trick-taking conventions. There's a trump suit. There's card passing. There are card play must follow. Communication's very clever. You can communicate what cards are in your hand what cards you got left, etc. There's so many cool things about Mission Deep Sea. But it's one of those games where the emergent meta game, which is why I wanted to play with the original group, Ryan, because that meta game comes out over several plays. So there are some regulars playing it, but I'm really impressed. I've got to say, 
blew me out the water with the way that they've evolved the system. And I'm only scratching at the surface. I've only played six missions so far. And I'm really excited to play more. And I'm really happy I've got it played. It was so it was really bugging me that this game that's very well regarded was just sat on the shelf because of my filthy acquisition habits, Orby. <laughs> I will say. Uh I went a bit mental, but that's fine and it's out there now and it's it's good. What are your thoughts on Mission Deep Sea or are we preaching to the converted that this game is a fantastic trick taker? It's absolutely fantastic. There's a reason why the original crew was one of the early games in, as it has been called, the trick-taking renaissance and sort of starting to get more people who weren't into trick-taking more aware of it. Like you said, you know, when the second one came out, how could it get better? But the way the mission system works in Mission Deep Sea is just so brilliant that it's like, how is this not the original one? It's just, it's Great. so smooth. It's done so well. The original one where it's just focusing only on specific cards all the time is great. And Mission Deep Sea still has that, but it just expands and evolves it even more. So there's it's more dynamic and allows for a little bit more replayability. And the different combinations of missions when they come out can be really cool. You can play the exact same mission and a different group in the world could play the exact same mission. But the tasks that you have to complete are completely different. So what you're experiencing is going to be different for everybody. And it can be different for you. Even literally the next play, you're going to get different tasks for it. Whereas in the original one, it was just the different card. I don't see a world where this doesn't get a third, fourth, fifth version. I mean, I already know there is another version coming. It's like the Swiss Family Robinson or something is the newer edition that was announced. There's not a lot of information on it, but there's probably going to be a lot of iterations of this game. Well, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the replayability that people out there will be playing different versions of the same mission, which is why I think it stands on the shoulders of the the, the, the predecessor and really is something special, particularly so because we played it the other day with somebody who doesn't play many trick-taking games. And I said to him, yeah, you don't play many trick-takers, do you? He said, no. He said his thoughts were that the, the hand-holding that it does in terms of it slowly introducing the tasks in terms of difficulty and stepping that up is great, certainly for people who don't always play trick-takers, as well as veterans as well. And because you're working together, you can sort of, say, coach each other and help each other along and make sure it's not, these are my cards, they're your cards, and therefore, yeah, we can't talk we're underwater, by the way, but you're not, in that sense, competing with each other. Yeah. The one thing, of course, that can always have problems with cooperative games is having quarterbacking or alpha gamer issues. It's a little bit harder in this one because you can't actually tell somebody what to do. You must follow Mm trick-taking. They might have to play a card that they didn't want to because they had to follow suit. But sometimes there can be that pivotal moment in this game where a specific card needs to be played in that trick. And if somebody doesn't understand what needs to be played and the other person at the table is like, why didn't you play that? They can get frustrated at you, whether they've actually verbally say it out loud or they just get upset internally and then they just get sort of frustrated as they play. It's just one thing to keep in mind with this game that hopefully you're playing it with a group of people that's more forgiving if you're new to trick taking or trying to learn and experience it. Just know that 
if you want to introduce somebody to a trick-taking game, the crew may not be the best one because having to discover and learn the mechanics of trick-taking and asking somebody to play specific cards so that you can win together can be frustrating not only for you, but for them because they don't know what they're supposed to play and you can't actually talk to them and tell them until after the mission's over, of course, and you've probably failed. You can then say, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. But sometimes people don't like that and then they just go, well, I don't want to play this anymore. Yeah, who am I kidding, right? Introduction trick taker? The Skull King. But, but anyway, <laughs> I would encourage, like Ryan said, be kind to one another. It is the holiday season. It's that kind of, in the spirit of the holidays. But also, you know, this is a game where you can always just re-rack and go again because the missions are so short. So start, yeah. somebody's learning trick taking, it might be wise to start at some of the earlier missions if you've played before and you're well into it because they're so variable, it's still going to feel fresh anyway. Cool, Ryan. So that is the crew. Assemble your crew. I was trying to do some kind of weird Avengers pun thing. Let's forget it. And so next game is going to be... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yep. Next game is going to be Dracula versus Van Helsing. So this is actually a new game. So it is new to me, but it's also new to a lot of people. This just came out this year. Designed by... Maxime Ramberg and Theo Riviere. And your best French. That was good. And my best French. I didn't enough, I'm sure. But Dracula versus Van Helsing is a two-player pseudo trick-taking game. Uh, hand management where one of you plays Dracula, the other one of you plays Van Helsing. You have asymmetrical goals. Dracula is trying to turn the people of the town into vampires, and Van Helsing is trying to kill Dracula. Dracula wins by clearing out one of the five regions. There are four villagers in every region. If you turn one region into all vampires, Dracula will win. Or if you survive all five rounds. Van Helsing is trying to remove all 12 hit points from Dracula before the five rounds is over, or before Dracula turns one region into four vampires you do this by playing cards from your hand to trigger abilities until the round is over and then like i said you'll play trick taking in a sense to resolve each region so you have a hand of five cards and each card is associated with one of the five regions so my leftmost card is region one and then second card is region two region three region four region five on your turn, you'll draw a card from the deck, and then you have to discard a card, either the one you just drew or another one in your hand. Whichever card you draw will replace the card you discard. Every number has some ability. It'll let you look at the top card of the deck. It'll let you look at an opponent's card, make you reveal one of your cards, various things like that. After the round ends, which will be when one player says, all right, I'm not drawing any more cards. I like my hand. I'm done or they discard one of the eights. The ability of the eight is just to end the round immediately. You can't do this until there's at least six cards in the discard pile. So you have to give each player at least three actions before you can do that. Once that's done, you do the trick-taking part, which there is a hierarchy rank of the, there's four different suits, numbered one through eight. There's a trump suit, and then the other three suits have a this suit stronger than this suit, and then that suit stronger than the last suit which can be manipulated with one of the abilities. But you'll resolve your cards left to right, and if Dracula wins a region, flips over to a vampire. If Van Helsing wins the region, 
does a damage to Dracula. That's pretty much the whole game in a very long <laughs> explained way to it. But yeah, I was able to play this game twice now where I've played Dracula both times. Have you heard much about this before I say any more since I just said a lot? So I've looked at it with interest. Obviously, the closest comparison I can make, Ryan, here is Jekyll versus Hyde for yep. the ace, for the asymmetry. And obviously, I'm a fan of the stuff that Mandu games put out, generally speaking. I like the sound of it. It's one of those games where I sort of read about it, was intrigued by it, never picked it up, and not because... I don't rate the production because that looks great, by the way. And like, like, the, like the art's awesome. That's awesome. In fact, I was going to say, is it Vincent Detroit? But I can see the artist, Weberson Santiago, has done a, such a wonderful job on the art. So kudos to the artist. In terms of replayability then, Ryan, do you think this ultimately is going to end up as a similar kind of ilk to Jekyll vs. Hyde, where you've got a game that can be very deep, with two people, that emergent meta game can come out, they can play it for 20, 30 plays, 40 plays plus, and have the replayability in in, in that sense, in, in terms of depth. Just from early impressions, I appreciate it's it's a new game to you. Is that a fair suggestion? Yeah, so my concern is that I don't think it will hold up to replayability. Of course, this is all first impressions. Mm -hmm. I could be completely wrong if I play it a few more times. I was rather underwhelmed with the whole process of the game. On paper, when I read the rules and the idea of the asymmetrical thing, a Jekyll versus Hyde sort of feeling, I thought it was going to be really cool. And I felt like there was going to be some really good tension. In our first game that we played, it wasn't until the last round when it came down to me only having three hit points as Dracula and having one location where I had three vampires ready to turn the one over. And it was the first region. So the me and my opponent were literally going back and forth, just messing with that first card of who would win it. Because basically it came down to if I won that, the game was over. Right. Because you always resolve region one to five in that order. Meaning, if Dracula can win in Region 1 by flipping the four over, you uh, game's over. You don't resolve the rest of them. So even if Van Helsing could have won the th other three regions and taken away all my hit points, I won that first region, so I win right away. And that was sort of my issue that we both had with it, is it felt like the first region is a really important region. Sure, throughout the entire game, I had to make sure I'd won some of the other regions so that Van Helsing just didn't wipe four health every round because then I wouldn't win. It really made the fight for the first region more important than the rest of them. And our entire last round just evolved into that one card and that one card only. We didn't care about any of our other hand. And it almost, and I even said this, which I, it sounds terrible, but I said the last round almost turned into Candyland. Okay. In the sense... That in Candyland, you shuffle the deck, and then technically it's predetermined who's going to win. The order was already set based on when you draw that you're going to win in that time frame. And in our round, it basically just came down to who was getting the right card at that right time to be winning. The deck was stacked in the right order where Trump could come out and I would have it and control it and swap. Now, of course, it's not a 100% comparison. I, I'm making it sound way worse than it is. 
Candyland, right? Yes. Is there a sweet spot? (laughs) (laughs) Might be. Because there were still abilities. You still had to trigger the right thing and do the right option. But the problem is whenever you discard something, if it's in your hand, the card you draw is replacing that card. So we were, if we were only focused on the first trick, anything that we were touching was our first card. I couldn't really take a card and discard my second or fourth or fifth or whatever because I really had to make sure that that first card was winning. Sometimes we could, especially if you were changing Trump or trying to swap cards with your opponent, because that's one of the abilities. But it just basically came down to us constantly messing with it, which had a lot of attention. And that's like what was really cool is I had the card. I had the eight Trump. I was winning the trick guaranteed. And then my opponent made a swap. So now they had the Trump and was winning. I was like, shoot, now I got to find a way to win it back. What can I do to make this happen? Then I was able to find a way to change Trump. So now I was winning with my card, even though it was a diff- is a lower number. It was now Trump, and then my opponent had to figure out how way to change that. So it was really cool to have that back and forth. But I don't know. I just felt like a little bit was missing. Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little bit anticlimactic in in that regard. So you're fighting over this key cornerstone, this the the initial placement, and sounds like the rest of the game is in danger potentially of feeling superfluous now this is someone who hasn't played it i haven't played it i'd like to give it a go to be clear just to random hot take from bgg don't normally do this but somebody said too luck dependent for my taste i prefer jekyll versus hyde which offers more control and simply is the synthesis of everything good in dracula versus van helsing and I just wondered, Ryan, whether that strikes a chord with you or whether that's not your... I mean, that was probably a more succinct way to say what I just said over many minutes. So okay. I think I would agree with that. Okay. I, I do want to try it a few more times. I actually have one of my other gaming buddies. or They got a copy at PAX Unplugged and has played it, I think they said five or six times. And has seemed to enjoy it more. Right, okay. So I actually want to try playing with them and seeing if maybe just playing with somebody who's enjoying the game more, see if maybe that changes. Yeah, and I'd be curious to to know, Ryan, if you... I mean, we're drowning in, or have been drowning in, historically anyway, trick-takers and games. So curious to see, A, whether this gets to the table again anytime soon among the other games that you could pull out of the shelf and be when it does, whether this opinion now holds true going into 2024. So at some point, Ryan, what I'm saying is let's dig up Dracula because that's kind of gives it a vampiric vibe and see what your takes are in a future, Ryan. I like it. Should be good. Cool. Awesome. So my next game, I only played this last night, very first play. So very new to me. And that game is Duck by Johannes Krenner. First question, is he is it corrupt? It is not. They, not a corrupt duck. They might quack quack, but they're not corrupt. Just check it out. They are, however, hanging 10 and looking pretty chill. <laughs> looking at the front cover, it does look very, very chill. Beach vibe duck like it. Yes. Your player cards to where you keep your score points are all beach towels. All the ducks are on a beach. The front cover has a guy, uh, a duck in the water doing the like hang 10 
thumb and pinky out with a surfboard in hand. So yeah, very chill vibe. As is the normal path of course for ducks. Exactly. Now, this is a shedding game in a sense. There's no climbing because you're really just playing your own cards. But the goal is to play all of your cards from your hand or duck for the round. So there's people hiding behind the table? There might be. Or maybe under your beach towel. Okay. So when it's your turn, you either play cards and draw a card or you duck. Whenever you play cards, you either play as many cards of the same number. Doesn't matter the color. There are three suits in this game. Zero to eight. And you can play any of the same number. Or you play a run, but it has to be of the same color. Minimum of three cards as well. Once you've played all of your cards, you then stack them in front of you in the order of your choosing. So if you play a run, you could do like one, two, three with a three on top or three, two, one with a one on top. If you do multiple of the same number, you can essentially choose which color is on top. Once you've played those cards, you'll then draw a card back into your hand. And it's only one. No matter how many you play, you just draw one back. You either draw from the deck that's in the middle of the table or you draw the top card of the piles on the player to your left or to your right. So that's why you want to order specific cards when you discard yours, because people have access to those. That goes into your hand. Next player's turn. They play cards, draw a card, or duck. What ducking essentially is, is it's ending the round early, and you are saying you have the lowest value in your hand. So those rummy-style right. games where you're trying to get rid of things, or if you think yep. you can end it early... If you have a value 10 or less in your hand and you have the lowest value among all players, you've successfully ducked. If you have 11 or more or you're not the lowest, you have unsuccessfully ducked. It's not hanging 10 anymore, basically. Not hanging 10 at all. There are five rounds. Each round you go, each round is worth more points, but it's also worth negative points if you fail to duck. Then every other player at the table who didn't duck or play all of their cards out will score their highest card left in hand. But if you're the highest total value among those players, you don't score at all. You just discard your hand. Okay. This kind of kind of reminded me, Ryan, of sea salt and paper when you were describing the duck thing, when you're mm-hmm. gambling that you've got the lowest card. Because you see salt and paper, you're sort of gambling you've got the most points mm-hmm. you there is that option to try and outsmart the other players and with bluffing kind of thing does it have any of the same feeling for anyone who might have come across sea salt paper i know you've played that before absolutely i would say it's got a similar vibe especially with the draw card play card sort of functionality okay. to it as well how you're playing cards and what you're going for is more set collectiony in sea salt and paper than it sure. would be in duck but absolutely uh, a very similar vibe. Okay, interesting. And what I really like about it, though, is that high card, low card aspect. Because if you successfully duck, you'll get the points for the round, but you also score your highest card as well. So when you're at your 10 or less, you're trying to make sure one of your cards is as high as it can be so you can Mm -hmm. score maximum amount of points. And then everybody else at the table, if they're like, well, if I can't go out first and I'm not the one to duck, I just need to not be the person who has the highest total value. But you only score your highest single card. So you want to have an eight or a seven or a six and then all the zeros, ones and twos to still score a higher thing. But you're more likely to have the higher total value. Right. So you're kind of in a position where, yeah, it's 
you're scraping on by your fingernails. You want to score as much as you can. But then conversely, you're thinking, oh, in order to do that, you need the lowest card. It sounds really like a, a very interesting and intense dilemma that the players are in to try and call duck. So I like the sound of that, Ryan. Is that when you're playing it, do you feel the tension? Do you think, oh, that does that like dilemma seem nerve-wracking? Does it seem real? We're describing it here, but in terms of feeling when you're actually playing? A little bit, yeah. Okay. In games like that, of course, when someone has a lower amount of cards in their hand, they're more likely to have a lower value. So if you see somebody only have two or three cards in hand, there's a good chance they're probably going to call duck because they have lower numbers. But of course, whenever you take cards back after you play something, if you take one of the face-up cards to your player on your left or your right, you at least know one of the cards in their hand. So when you start to get that low, you might be more likely to draw a random card from the top of the deck to not let your opponents know what you have. Of course, the backside of that is that you might be taking a really high number that you didn't want and might not be helpful for your hands of playing sets or runs or anything. So you have a gamble of keeping a card hidden, but potentially being too high value. Right. That duck is putting you in juxtapositions that you really don't want to be in or that are good for you. So that sounds neat. I'd like to give it a go. And again, I'm curious through repeat plays, Ryan, whether you keep coming back to that duck with a surfboard. I'm excited to try it again. I know in our play, the I think it was the second to last round i did have a little of an annoying experience where the player that was before me called duck and once somebody does that the round ends immediately because obviously everyone has to reveal to check your values i only had two cards i had a zero and a two and they had i think it was like four or five cards in hand they were a lot of low numbers but i was like why are you calling duck there's just no reason to i'm like i'm i'm lower <laughs> They saw yeah. me pick up the two, so they knew I had to have a, a relatively low number. They had exactly 10. And when that happens, you get the negative points. If you fail to duck, you take the round card and you flip it to its negative side. But that also means that when it was my turn, I was going to call duck and I would have been successful and would have scored those points positively. So they actually stole the positive points from me, which would have been nine points at that time. And they got negative three. So sure, it hurt them, but I think it hurt me more. And I'm not saying that they they definitely didn't do it maliciously to I just mean, be like, oh, I'm going to sure, make sure I ruin you. Sure, you could, I guess, right? That, that duck wasn't flipping the bird instead of hanging 10, to be clear. <laughs> yeah. But I, I see your dilemma. So I can see there could be frustration in someone who was like ready to call duck or ready to go out and couldn't because someone else did before them and ended up failing and you didn't get points because now I still score my highest value card. But at that point, it's only a two, whereas I would have gotten a two and a nine from the round points. So it just it stung a little. But I mean, it is the name of the game. Like, I, it's, that's how it's played. So that is just something you need to expect when you right. play. That's probably going to happen. So the, the way that you play in terms of playing because you've got the lowest and you're calling duck, that sounds exciting. But if I was, and of course, Ryan, I'm not saying in, in your case, it sounds like it wasn't intentional. But you could imagine there could be groups out there where people play this, crunch it down and say, well, now that we're playing, I know that I'm better off calling Duck, even though I'm going to score a minimum amount of points. So I'm going to shut you out relative to our scoring position. That's the kind of group I don't want to play in. 
Yeah, and I'm sure you'd <laughs> yes. probably be the same. The spirit of the game sounds exciting. Yeah, so I, I'd like to, to try it again, let you know how it goes. And then it was a pretty cheap, relatively. I already had the Japan Amazon Japan order going with all those Edo copies and everything else. So it was, I think, maybe six, seven dollars. Yeah, absolute bargain. And uh, the design choices are clearly there's interesting dilemmas that you can have and to try and optimize your scoring. And for the price, sounds like this duck could be worthwhile giving it a go, putting on that surfboard and trying it out. Yeah, hang 10. There we go. And the last game on here, which actually it looks like I have a lot of the, the new to us games. <laughs> you do. But this is more of a almost a revisited game for you you've played this before and that's war of the ring the card game designed by ian brody you've talked about this in the past uh uh, briefly have mentioned it especially when i have mentioned marvel champions Mm -hmm. because it has a rather similar mechanic of spending cards to play cards and i was able to play this game the four player version where there's two people on the good guys the the free people side and two on the bad side the saruman saruman excuse me Excuse me, Lord of the Rings fans. Close, I apologize. I know. I, I'm going to get like lashed for condemned in the entire internal fires of Mount Doom now, Ryan. For anyone who's familiar with the IP, so we when we were playing this. The the person who owns the game is a huge War uh, Lord of the Rings fan, and the other three of us like dabble in it. I mean, I've seen it, the movies. Yeah. I haven't read the books. I've seen the movies. You know what a hobby is when you see one. Yeah, but yeah. we we were very much making it a point to mispronounce things <laughs> just to piss off the person who was like, no, this is how it's pronounced. It was very funny. It was lighthearted the way we were making fun of them. <laughs> I digress. I think I'll leave the explaining of the game to you since I know you've played it a little bit more than me. I've only played it the one time, but I am excited to have a little conversation just briefly about it. I think we'll spend more time in the future. Yeah, I feel like this is, deserves an episode in the future because... This coming Thursday, I have got a four-player game of it. So this is a revisit with four players. I've already played it with four players before. The team game that you describe, it's the you've got me doing it. Now, the Sar- 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 Sauron versus the Fellowship, or the the the, um, the Shadow Player versus the Free People, to be specific for this game. And I have played it at two-player as well, and that works quite nicely as a little head-to-head because. If you want to do that, there are condensed scenarios in there that follow the story of the War of the Ring. So the first one is the Fellowship of the Ring. So anyone who's familiar with Tolkien's works, uh, the story of Lord of the Rings will really appreciate that and doesn't want to spend time doing the the full game. Where I think it really shines is the 2v2 game where everybody has a deck that's assigned to them uh, relative to the, there's different factions in the deck that appear. And basically, the mechanic of Marvel Champions, where you are choosing cards to play and then recycling a card to, to pay the cost. So to be specific, you choose a card and then you have to put a card, discard a card to recycle it to come back into your deck in the future And because you're doing that, it's then not available to you in that moment. So the game says, hey, here's a bunch of really wacky, cool cards. You know, do you want Gandalf now or do you want to save him for later? And there are 
in front of the players, battlegrounds. There's one battleground normally. And there's also a path which Frodo normally follows. So it could be the Shire, for example. Sometimes characters just aren't compatible with those scenarios. For example, Gandalf, yes, he might be in the Shire at the beginning, but you're not going to have random characters popping up that they wouldn't do in the story of the Lord of the Rings. So it follows this thematic theme. I don't want to get too much into the nitty-gritty of the rules, but I think the card management in this game is phenomenal. There are items that the characters can carry... There is a reserve area that you can play to. If you don't want to play a character at that moment in time, you can put that character in your reserve area. And there are some abilities that, that happen. It's just literally in front of you. You're basically saving them for later, but you're not recycling them to come back into your deck later. A little bit of terminology, but I don't think it's too difficult to teach. And if you take the time, there's some really good youtube videos rules explanations out there to learn the game if you take the time and you have any interest in tolkien's works at all this game is certainly worth a try and give it a go and when i get to play this again on thursday having played a game of four player game of it already with the same group it'd be really interesting to see how that develops I would suggest saying to people when you play this game, don't worry too much about what cards you play the first time because you won't be familiar with the decks. But in future, then the tactical decisions are even more apparent when you're familiar with the decks. Just do what you think's right based on the Lord of the Rings story and that will guide you enough to be able to get into the dig-in and give it a go. Yeah, our game, all four of us, it was actually our first play person who owned it obviously read and explained the rules to us mm -hmm. but they hadn't played either so we all very much had that oh i see what i did wrong this time i should have played this card then i should have saved it later yeah but it was very enjoyable all of us before the game even finished we're like yeah we're ready to play again mm -hmm. obviously we did that night still a long yeah, game it can be a long game yeah. for sure still faster than the full board game war of the ring it certainly is <laughs> but it, it gets you a really good distilled version of that game and yeah it was really good i look forward to trying to, we just did the base game again and i'm also excited to see what the other expansions offer yeah there is as far as i'm aware there's against the shadow expansion and they are in fact, I'm going to check now because no doubt I've dropped another clanger here in the War of the Rings universe. So there is a solo expansion that also offers some cooperative modes, and that is against the Shadow. And then there is Fire and Swords, which is coming out next year. So at the moment, I believe it's just the two against the Shadow, some promo cards and the base game. But certainly, Ryan, I'm, when we do an episode on this again in the future, we'll probably come back with more informed future perspectives on those extra plays and be able to give people some more color and context on the war of the ring but i'm really glad that you had a good play with it and just want to say as well i'm sure you agree the artwork is amazing it's a combined effort with lots of well-regarded lord of the rings artists and tolkien artists including john howe he's done some amazing lord of the rings illustrations and games and Tolkien art before it's wonderful yeah it's very pretty there we go war of the ring some games 
just for clarification, in terms of revisiting games, are Sale, Wizards Cup, and Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard. I'm pleased to say impressions are good. I'm still having a good time with these games, albeit Sale is a new iteration of Hamlin Cave, a game that I know and love. So really keen in 2024 to give you some of those fresh takes on having revisited those games and having explored them further. Wonderful. Yeah, those are three good ones. I'm excited to try Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard since I have my copy. That'll be a new to me once I finally play it. It's a lot of fun. So looking forward to some more conversation we have on those. Cool. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, that was a good list of holiday games, new to us games, and a couple of sneak peeks on some revisited ones that we'll be talk about in the future. And of course, I think we can't go without at least mentioning the Tokyo Game Market that it happened last weekend. There's always plenty of juicy, juicy, juicy stuff that comes out at every Tokyo Game Market. Big convention that happens in Japan where there's a lot of trick-taking, climbing, shedding games on top of other board games that come out. And we could probably spend an entire five-hour episode just listing off the games and giving a five-second thing on what the game is about because there's just so many. So I know a lot of people have asked us if we were going to cover the Tokyo Game Market and everything that came out because there's just so much. And also a little bit because Patrick and I tried to avoid <laughs> looking tried at... Tried <laughs> to avoid and trying to be good. Yes, so, yeah. knowing yeah. how many games we had already got this year and from previous Tokyo Game Markets, we're trying to be a little bit better for us and for you guys. Because what ends up happening with a lot of these is a lot of these are bought out of FOMO and very little information and quickly purchased because there's so little copies, as we've talked about on many episodes in the past. Quickly pasted up as well. Yeah, that you end up not really getting a good idea on what the game's actually going to be like and just sort of blind buying. And I will actually, I mean, I've, I'm still guilty of it. I've done it, I think, with three or four games from this Tokyo game market. I'm not going to list them now. Again, I will do that later. <laughs> but just know that we are going to have some coverage on some games that came out from this Tokyo game market on future episodes. Once there's more information about the games, once other people, including us, have played it, so that there's more opinions and information that we can give besides just saying, ooh, this game looks pretty, ooh, this game sounds fun off this one sentence that I translated off of a website, you should get it. If you do that, you're going to end up buying 20 games and only two of them might actually be enjoyable. Yeah, I think it's an easy rabbit hole to fall into because it's so compelling, because the art's so great, and because especially when you are first getting into trick tokens from a acquisition, serious acquisition perspective, it's really exciting. So it's still exciting, but we just take the perspective now, as Ryan said, do a bit of research, wait for some of the reviews to come out, because me and Ryan have acquired so many trick takers throughout the years, and certainly... Some trick takers last a lot longer than others. Some are pretty much straight out the door after one or two plays. So don't let that be you because we want you to get games which you love and stay on your shelf for a long time because people like us and other board game, card game, influencers, personalities, whatever you like, produce some quality reviews and have done the research and development for you. Sounds very formal. Basically just means us rambling, making silly puns and endorsing, highly endorsing in some cases, certain games. You already like know Edo. what they are. Like, yeah, exactly. 
perfect cue entry there, Ryan, I think. Lovely. Now, if there was a new copy of Ito at Tokyo Game Market, I'd say blind buy, blind buy that bad boy right away. <laughs> I'd say they're not blind buying it if they've listened to the episode, Ryan. So, so it's Very a solid, true. Uh, there we go. Yeah, we have given good information on it. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? No, other than we hope everybody who's listened to this episode had a very happy holiday. And if you celebrate Christmas, a very happy Christmas because that's just gone. Hope you got everything you wanted and you get lots of games played over the season, the holiday. As you say in the States, at the Christmas period in the UK. Yeah, whatever holidays you celebrate, if they haven't happened yet as well, hopefully you get some games in then. And of course, you have the New Year's coming up. So I'm sure there's some New Year's resolution or challenge or something you're going to start doing. So hopefully you can get good progress on that going right at the beginning. Yeah, we'll try and tie ourselves to a New Year's resolution, but we'll see what happens on future episodes in 2020. We we did so well on our last challenges, so I don't know if we should do that <laughs> on the record again. Yeah, it was a bit ambitious, but that was, who knows? A little bit. All right. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Trick Talkers. You can always find our information on our link tree, which will be in the show notes down below. But that is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Trick Talkers. Any questions, comments can also reach us at our Twitter at Trick Talkers or email us at tricktalkers at gmail.com. I've been Patrick and I've been Doolboy. Oh, it's going to be weird to say I've been Patrick. I still am Patrick. Yeah, Joe Boy, that was good. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye. <laughs>